So this morning, family, we are going to jump into the Word. Uh, we're going to open up to John chapter 13, and we're going to be talking about, uh, well, the thing that we were singing a lot about this morning, the love of God, about togetherness, about, about community. And as I was praying through and, and reading this Word, preparing for this morning, um, I really felt a gratefulness in my heart for each one of you and our church as a whole, like this community that, that God is forming and he's shaping. Uh, the reason is this. When we look in the scripture, and we're gonna read it through it this morning together, it emphasizes the importance of seeing one another, loving one another, being together, being a community. What is a church but a community of, of believers? Um, it's not a business. It's not a corporation. It's not um, this obligation, but it's togetherness. It's a community that's centered on Christ. And when I look at our community, I'm seeing we're becoming a real community. When I look at where we've come from even a year ago to where we are now, we can see that the Lord is shaping us and forming in us, in this community, a new thing. It's a new thing. Man, I, I, how many times over throughout the year have we been digging into the scripture and finding things like the Lord saying, you know, uh, he's, he's, it's time for a new wineskin. He's, he's preparing us for something new. Even guest speakers coming. When we have um, a, a guest speaker come, I don't task them with a scripture or a topic to cover. I, I, I invite people that I know and I trust to come and speak and lead us into the word. And when they come, they're bringing these words. God is doing a new thing. It's the Holy Spirit that is really at the helm of this community. And so I'm so excited. So I, I see like this message that we're gonna get into today is more of an encouragement saying, hey, this is the track that we're on. We're already, we're, we're with him as he's moving us to these deeper places. So let's hop in. We're in John chapter 13 and we're gonna start reading in verse 30 and we're gonna go straight through uh, 35. So John 13, 35 says, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Now, when he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Verse 32, If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. Now, verse 33, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you can't come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, in that same way, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus, we thank you for your holy word that is living and breathing and speaks to us today, Lord Jesus. I thank you that when you give us instruction to do something, you don't give us this instruction and how, expect us to figure out what that means, but you give an instruction and then you demonstrate it. You show us what you want for us and you invite us to do it with you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the encouragement to love each other the way 
that you've loved us. But man, that is daunting and it is only something we can do by the power of God in us. So would you give us this ability, Lord, to love one another and see one another as you see us. We love and trust you this morning. Amen. I want to set the context just for a moment of what's happening here. So in these, in these verses, Jesus is sitting at the table with his disciples and they're here at the Last Supper and they know and he knows that this is the last meal that they will share together before his crucifixion, before he's taken away and arrested. So they're sitting there and they just went through having all of their feet washed Jesus was teaching them once again as he was trying to reiterate for years as he spent time with them that the greatest in the kingdom is not the most powerful leader, but the greatest in the kingdom was one who can bend their knee the lowest and become the greatest servant. He teaches them this lesson and then he reveals to them that there's someone sitting at the table with them that's a traitor. And he passes that bread to Judas, signifying that he was the one all the while, kind of in this code, that he was going to be the one. And then he got up for the table, and that's where we picked up. As soon as Judas took the bread, he went out, and it was night. In another place, it says that when Judas left, the other disciples, they just assumed that he was going to give something to, to the needy or to go take care of a task that had to be done. They didn't even know at that time what he was about to do. But Jesus knew, and because he knew that his traitor was literally on his way to get the men to arrest him. He knew he had just a few moments left. So he goes into his encouragement to the disciples and says, my children, I'm only gonna be with you a little bit longer. You'll look for me, but where I'm going, you can't come. I have to go alone. Now you can imagine the position of these disciples who literally spent every waking and sleeping hour in the company of Jesus. For years, this was now, this had become their lifestyle. Since the moment that they accepted the calling, that invitation to be with Jesus, they walked with him, they, they put down their old careers, they put down their collecting the taxes, they put down their fishing nets, and they followed Jesus. This became their profession, their living with him. They saw him lead them through tests and trials, miraculously calm the storm, raise the dead, bringing Lazarus back to life. They watched him do these things and, and heard him talk about the coming kingdom of God that he was ruler and king over. They bonded with him. And now all of a sudden he says to them, I'm leaving you and you're gonna be looking for me, but you won't find me because you can't come where I'm going. It must have hit them like a ton of bricks and confused them to no end. Sometimes I think, even in our own walk with Jesus, we're walking with him and everything is going fine. We feel that even connection relationally to him. We feel his presence. He's walking with us. Then all of a sudden we have that you will see me no longer moment. And out of nowhere, it's just kind of like this disconnection. Like, what, what happened? We were going along and everything was fine. Where, where did he go? We begin to even ask ourselves, like, did I, did I 
did I do something? Our conscience kicks in. Is there something that, that I did some way in me that caused a break in this connection? Like, what, what's happening here? We think we, we did something to either displease him. Our heart now moves to wonder, how can I mend this? What do I need to now do? What work, what action do I need to take to bring this connection back with the Lord that I'm, that I'm hungry for, that, I, that I'm missing? In times like this where we're searching for him to regain that connection, I think it's important to remember the situation even here with Jesus and his disciples. He told them, you're going to be looking for me. You're going to want me, but we're going to be separate. You can't come where I'm going. I'm going over there. You have to stay here where you are. I think the lesson for us in that is this, that Jesus doesn't only want to reveal himself to you, but he wants to reveal himself through you. He wants to reveal himself to the world through us. And how is that? It's the instruction that he left us with when he left them. What was his instruction? Love one another. When you don't see me anymore, love one another. When you can't find me, find your brother and sister and love them the way that I have loved you. She's, so often, all we want is Jesus. He's God. He's the one that we are after. He is the lover of our soul. He is the, he is the one who has saved us from all of, all of sin and then those consequences and what, what that leads to. He is the one that we're after. He's the one that we want. He's all that they wanted. And he said, you can't, you can't find me now, but what I need to do is I need to redirect your attention towards one another, that you now would show affections to one another. Makes sense that Jesus would give them this instruction before he leaves them, because this is the same group of men that were constantly battling over one another and wrestling and, and arguing throughout for, for one another. Throughout the New Testament, we read, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, who's the most important among them who's the closest to Jesus and in charge of all the, the others. This is what they cared about. Some of them even sent their mother to go and talk to Jesus to try to vouch for them to be the greatest, right? And so now he knows that he's leaving them. He's leaving his 12 disciples that are constantly fighting about who's the greatest. So what's gonna happen when he's gone? He can't break it up anymore. He said, the way I love you is how you have to love one another you're here because you love me, but I'm telling you now, don't just love me, love one another. He's trying to redirect our love, our affections for him. Through him, he points us right back to one another. You know, our relationship with God, our closeness with God is so tied to and so connected to our relationships with one another. The truth is, we can only go so deep and so far in our relationship with God without it impacting and affecting our relationships with people. As he grows us deeper and matures us in him, we're growing in him, now we are going to be growing deeper and having more meaningful relationships. If there's a disconnection there and what we're learning from God and being in his presence as he's shaping us, it doesn't play out in our relationships, then we're gonna, our growth is gonna be stunted. We cannot continue to go deeper in our discipleship and in our walk with him without it affecting your human relationships. 
They feed on one another. They work together in this way. If we take these scriptures where he said, as I love you, love one another, and this is how the world is gonna know that you're my disciples, if we, we reword this, we can look at it the same way, and it essentially says this, I know how much you love Jesus because I see how much you love your brothers and sisters. And we don't think about it this way, but if we stop and consider this and we, we look back and take a, kind of an inventory of our own lives, we could say, okay, how much do I love God? Let me not answer that by my own opinion. Let me step back and let me look at how I treat others and let my treatment of other people show you how much I love, love Jesus. And if we honestly look at the way that we treat and love one another, or don't, and let that be the gauge of where we stand with Jesus, that's a good starting point. To be honest with ourselves. How much love is really in my heart? Jesus' love is the one, as he had just demonstrated to them, that lowers itself. When there's a need in the room, he's the one who took his garment off, took a towel, and washed the feet of the men there. That was the job and the role of a servant in the household. They were in a rented room for that last supper. There was no servant there, so they all walked into the room, and because no one was there to wash the feet, it wasn't getting done. No one took on that role. This was, this was a regular custom that when you get into a house, you wash your feet, especially before a meal. There's no servant in there. It wasn't getting done, and not one of them would accept that role. And so Jesus, the greatest of them, said, all right, I'm gonna show you, man, something. There's something you're still missing after all these years together. This is what being a leader and a lover of people looks like. And he lowered himself and took that position of the servant of the house because there was none. He became the, the servant and he washed their feet. This is the kind of love that Jesus is telling us to have for one another Take the lowly position. There is nothing that we need to, to prove to one another to become the greatest. It's really about showing the Lord how much we love him. He said, love your brothers and sisters as I love them. Okay, Lord. He showed us literally an object lesson, living object lesson of how to love them, serving them, thinking about their needs over and above even our own. What I think is interesting too is this, Jesus was the reason that these disciples had all come together. These were people, and not even just the disciples, like all of the, you know, the, the larger number of disciples. He had the 12 that we were the most intimate with, but there were hundreds that would follow him and listen to his teachings. And these people came from all walks of life. These were people that were tradesmen, that were government employees. These were, these were uh, religious leaders. They were even outcasts in the community, they were all coming together, not for one another, they were all coming together to hear the teachings of Jesus Christ. Something was different about this man. He was the one that they were centered on. They moved towards him and found themselves all in the same space together. Not because they were seeking one another, but they were seeking the one who was in the center of that space. They had nothing in common outside of the one who was in the center of that space, Jesus Christ. So now as they came together and he says, hey, by the way, it's time for me to go and you gotta stay, all of a sudden he's gone. 
their common bond, the thing that brought them all together, vanished. Can you imagine they're all just in the room looking at one another. Okay, now what? What else we got in common? (laughs) And he's warning them and he's letting them know, listen, I'm going, but this movement doesn't stop here. This is now the beginning of a new era. Now I'm enabling you to love one another, not with a human love. Because my love isn't human. The love of God is supernatural. Now I'm equipping you and challenging you. I'm commissioning you to love each other, not with your own love. No, it's bigger than that. You need more love if you're gonna stick stick through the tough stuff. You need to love one another with my love, the love of God himself. And so this is what he was challenging them to do. And he's really essentially redirecting their love, redirecting their affections to one another. I wanna slide over to Ephesians 4. And in Ephesians 4, verse 1, I'll give you just a minute to get there. Ephesians 4, verse 1 says this. Apostle Paul tells us, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. He's writing this to every believer and originally it was to the believers in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, and now it's in the Holy Word. And he's writing this to all believers. It's the same encouragement. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you received. I want to ask an honest question this morning. How many of you are aware and know that God has a calling on your life? A few? Some? Maybe half? Okay. This is, the, this is the truth. Like, this is the reality of it. There is a calling on your life. You have a calling on your life. There is a purpose. There is a calling, a meaning on your life. But what is this? What is this calling that you have? This word, this word that he's using here, kleseos, comes the, from, the, from, the root, from a root word meaning uh, calling or invitation. It's an invitation. If we use this word in the scripture, it says this, live a life worthy of the invitation that you have received. It's an invitation to participate in the kingdom of God. You have an invitation to participate in the kingdom of God. And it's not an invitation that we hold on to so that when we get to the gate, we can show him, hey, I got an invite, here's my pass. No, This is an invitation that we live out and we begin participating in even now, today, where we are. The calling and invitation upon your life into the kingdom of heaven. I want to slide to Luke chapter 14. There's a parable there that talks about an invitation to the kingdom of heaven. And this this is going to show us a little bit more about that invitation Luke chapter 14, Jesus is talking, he's at a dinner, he's talking with some of the guests, and one of the guests says this in verse 15, this is Luke 14, verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So Jesus takes this opportunity to explain the kingdom of God a little bit more. 
And he says this, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited, there's that word, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I have to go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Verse 20, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there's still more room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. One thing that I think I just want to mention off the top is this. The kingdom of God, the great banquet, the feast that is being prepared for us is this. It's about bringing people together to celebrate God and his son, Jesus Christ. It's about bringing people together. Now we see in this parable about the kingdom of heaven, he sends out his messengers, his servants, to go gather the people that had been invited. It says that had been invited. They already had been invited and they knew that the preparations were being made and that the time was going to be near, it's close, for this event to actually happen. It wasn't a knock on the door, hey, we're having this party, you want to come? They knew in advance that it was going to happen. It was put out there plainly. And so now when it comes time, the servants go to tell them, they said, okay, it's ready, let's go. And one by one, they rejected the invitation for all different reasons. For some of them, it was because of work obligations. I'm just too busy. I got too much on my plate. It wasn't convenient time for them. For other people, it was, it was um, obligations, responsibilities that they had to take care of. Other people, relationships. It's just not convenient. I got this going on. I, I can't do it now. I know you told me about this, but this thing unexpectedly came along and, and I can't leave it. They all rejected these invitations. And so what does the master of the banquet do? He sends out the servants to go, listen, my table is going to be full. It's about bringing people together, people who are willing to sit at the table together with the master of the banquet and celebrate the reason of the event, the reason of that occasion. It's about bringing them together. So the servants go out into the streets. They go out into the country roads and they bring the people in and they fill that table up because God wants us together. Where does this calling on your life, this invitation come from? God wants you with him, but not only with him. God wants you together with the brothers and sisters of Christ who are also called to that very same table. You know, the Psalms in 23 talk about a table that is prepared for us. A table is not, it doesn't have one chair at it and then a bunch of food. No, the table of the Lord is, has chairs for all people belonging together. This is our position. This is our invitation. The calling on your life is to sit at the table together with the brothers and sisters of God and loving one another. 
when it gets a little uncomfortable, when your elbows are a little too close trying to cut up your food, when someone forgot to put on the deodorant, when it's frustrating. You belong sitting at that table together, and it's not always enjoyable, but that's when we remember who's sitting at the head of this table, who invited me here in the first place. He wants me here, and this is an honor and a privilege. I don't have to justify why I should be here. This is a privilege for me to be here. And for this very reason, I will remain in this place because the master of the banquet opened this chair for me. This is where I fit. This is where I belong. This chair, this table was prepared for you. See, the invitation and calling on your life isn't a random thing like you just passing them out, like, hey, you're invited, you're invited, you're invited. No, no, there's a specific place at this table that has been prepared for you as an individual. You, as an individual man or woman, have a place that has been prepared and you are invited now to come and sit in your place, to take your position. He's not just trying to randomly fill up the table. Everybody sit down. There's an assigned seat for you that's been prepared specifically for you. You have a calling on your life to participate in the kingdom of God. He wants us all at the same table together. But it makes it very clear, not all who have been invited are gonna be able to participate not because he changed his mind and doesn't want him there, because they refused to come in. You know, um, has anybody ever been to a party you really didn't want to be at? <laughs> That's so funny how, you know, yeah, so many of us have been to a party. So, but why did you go? The food? Free food? <laughs> why did you go? You felt obligated to? Yeah? Mom made you, <laughs> maybe the, yeah, a family member or a friend that was going and you just wanted to go alone. Free food is always a good one. Elijah has a shirt um, that says, uh, sorry, I'm, sorry I'm late, I didn't want to be here. <laughs> and he, I don't think it fits him anymore, but when, when it did, he would literally wear that to places, that, that's how he felt. <laughs> Low key. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> um, this same parable of the kingdom of heaven is told in Matthew as well. And Matthew gives a little bit more detail, especially at the end. And it says this, um, at the end of this feast and the people didn't want to come, then the master of the banquet invites others and they fill the table. Matthew goes into a little bit more detail about what happens after that. He says this in verse 11 of Matthew 22, 11. But when the king came in, now to see the guests, they had all arrived from the, the country roads and all the places he came in to see them and greet them. He noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Okay. Well, he just invited people from the streets. Like maybe, maybe there were some homeless people or what. Maybe he didn't have the clothes, right? But this is what he says to him. He asked, uh, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? I love how he puts friend in there too. It's a, it's a nice friendly greeting. How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was caught speechless. This was, he knew what was expected from a party like this and came anyway as he was. Verse 13, then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. 
You okay? It's pretty, uh, pretty extreme, right? He goes, from, he goes from, how did you get in here without the right clothes, friend? Tie him up and throw him with us. going to be weeping, gnashing of teeth. <laughs> Is that how he treats his friends? He invites him and then throws him. He's like, better off staying where you were. Don't even bother coming. <laughs> at least he wouldn't be gnashing his teeth at that point, right? <laughs> but what's going on here? He says, because he came, like, you, you invited me. Like, I came with the best, this is the best I got. I don't have any wedding clothes. Like, and now you're going to lash my wrists and ankles together and throw me out? Better off staying on the streets. So what's happening here? here here's, here's the reality of what happened. This, this guy who had come to the table, what we're going to find is this. He came for what he would benefit from it and really had no interest in anything else that was going on in that place. He wasn't there to be together. He wasn't there be to, for the master of the banquet. He wasn't there to celebrate. He was there for what he could get out of it. He was there for a lot of the reasons that I go to some parties that I go to, go to for the free food. What can I get out of this thing? He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't there to honor the one who the celebration was about. He wasn't there for the communion and fellowship of those who were at the table. He was there just, he just kind of came and just wanted what he could get out of it. What can I get out of this thing? And then this passage finishes up in 14 where it says this, many are invited or called, but few are chosen. So there's an invitation, there's a calling that goes out to many. Hey, we just said it in Ephesians 4. We all have been invited and called to this table. But few are going to be chosen. Okay, so what do we have to do to be among the ones who are chosen? Because if I dare accept this invitation, I don't want to wor- have to worry about having my hands and feet lashed together and thrown into the place where there's going to be gnashing of teeth. Otherwise, I'm better off not accepting the invitation in the first place. So what is this? This is what Ephesians 4.1 is saying. Live a life worthy of the calling. What is this worthy of the calling? The, being the worthy of the calling is putting that wedding garment on, putting on the proper attire so that when we go, we are honoring the one who has invited us. He's urging us to live a life worthy of the calling that we've all been given. We've been invited You are desired. There is a specific plate and seat at the table that has been prepared for you, and you are wanted. You are wanted in this place. The Apostle Paul urges us, live your life worthy of that invitation. And he doesn't stop there. In in Ephesians 4, verse 2, it says, what does it say? Let me slide over there. It's going to talk about that calling. Ready? I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Put that garment on. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. How do we live a life worthy of this calling? Bearing with one another in love. When we come and accept the invitation of the Lord to be with him, we receive 
his love and his generosity, his abundance into our lives. We're not just sitting there collecting it all for ourselves. That's not God's love. God's love pours over onto all who are around. So, so if, there's, if there's a place that, or someone that's being blessed by God, everyone who's around them is gonna get splashed with that blessing as well. God's love overflows. This is the God's love. This is what we have in him. This is what he's saying. What does it mean to accept the invitation and live a life worthy of it? Love. Love. Otherwise, we're missing the whole point and purpose of the, very, of the, of the feast that we're invited to. Otherwise, we're just there. How can I benefit from this thing? Okay, I filled my pockets up. Now I'm ready to go hit the streets again. It's not about what we get out of it. It's about who we are honoring through it. Are we placing him first? Are we loving him and loving one another the way that he loves us? I had... um, Earlier this week, I had the strangest dream. And I was telling Sly about it. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to share, share this. It's kind of weird. But I, I, I really think it was like even in preparation for some of this, these things that we're talking about this morning, about love and this togetherness. So what I saw was this. I saw this table. It was a square table with a chair on each of the four sides. And I was sitting in one of the chairs and across the table from me, the two chairs next to me were empty. And the chair across from me, love was sitting in the chair across from me. I thought this was interesting. And all of a sudden, so love was like the entity sitting in this chair. And, and all of a sudden, what's that? No, I didn't. It was one of those, you know, like in a dream, you don't see a figure, but you know what it is. Just kind of one of those things. So, so love is sitting across from me, and, and then up walks next to that chair, community. And walks up and, and kind of like um, communicates, are you sure you want me to take this position? It, almost as though I had invited community to the table, and he was responding, are you sure you want me to take this position? And I was caught off guard. I'm like, what? In the, I remember in my dream, like, what does that mean? And then it made me think twice, like, wait, wait, do I want community? I don't know if I want community at my table. Like, I like love. Love's nice, but I don't know. But the weird part is there were two chairs empty. Love was just sitting in the one across from me. And when community was invited, he was asking, are you sure you want me to take this position? Because his position was directly across from me so I could sit. Whenever I'm sitting, I'm aiming right at this person. So to accept his invitation to sit at my table... Love would have to get up. And so then I saw love got up and community took the place in that chair across from me and love and came, sat, came and sat down in that chair beside me. And I said, Lord, I don't know what you're trying to say, but this is kind of bizarre. What is this? This is like freaking me out. Like I, and I, this whole community thing, like moving love out of the way, what's the deal with that? But here's what I gleaned from it. Love needs an object. Sometimes we think about love and it's so beautiful and gentle and nice to think about. You know, our our mission statement on the wall out there, our mission is to love. Sometimes I think we love love more than we love the people that we're supposed to direct that love towards. Love needs an object or it's nothing. It's just hot air coming out of our lips. 
He doesn't want us just to say that we love. He doesn't want these words to come out of our mouth, but he wants us to sit across the table from one another. And now love now is what we use to to interact. This is the bond now that we have with one another. It's the love of Jesus. That's what holds us together. And so here's the thing. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's challenging. Think about this. What does it say in Corinthians? Let's slide over here for a second. 1 Corinthians uh, 13. You know, the love chapter. Love is patient. Okay, so love is patient. Love means that to be patient, you're going to endure times where you could really lose your patience. That's love, and you're gonna choose patience instead. Love doesn't envy. You're gonna be around people who have things you don't have, but you're not gonna envy them. You okay with that? Love doesn't boast. When you have things or abilities or things that you have, and people around you don't, you don't boast. You remain humble, knowing that all that you have is from God. It's not self-seeking. Love means that you seek the benefit of others and you put your own benefit after everyone else has been taken care of. That's love. Is that fun? That's God's love. Love always protects. It's looking out for the benefit of others. This is not easy. It's easy to sit at the table with love and love that idea. But let's be honest with ourselves and say, do I really love Jesus and the people that he's directing my love towards? Or am I just saying, nope, I love you, Jesus. I don't want to deal with anybody else. I don't want to have to do with them. They're too much of a pain in the butt. It's so inconvenient. It's time-consuming. I just want you. But he's saying, no, love one another. I need you to love one another. This is how the world is going to know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. If we don't live with God's love flowing through our hearts, we're not accepting the wedding garment that has been prepared for you. It's not, oh, oh, I, I didn't have anything better than this. No, no. The garment that's required of you is being handed to you. All you need to do is put it on. Accepting the invitation is saying, thank you, Lord. I now agree to your terms because this whole party is all about you anyway. It's about becoming together to celebrate who he is and what he is doing and has done. That's what it's about. We need to make room at our table, not just for love, but make room at our table for people, for the one another that we're directed to love. Let's hop back into our story and John from, t- from earlier said, he's telling them, you're not gonna see me anymore. I'm giving you this new command to love one another and this is how people will know that you're my disciples if you love each other. But then Simon Peter in verse 36 asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Would he? Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you that before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. 
The calling on your life is not to leave the circumstances that you're living in or leave the people that are around you. Although sometimes that's what we would rather, we would prefer just be with the Lord, just us and the Lord and get away from all these things. But Jesus said, where I'm going, you can't come now. It's not time. There will come a time. It's not now. Right now, I need you where you are. I need you to remain in that place and love with my love in the place where I have left you. Sometimes in our walk with the Lord, I think there's this kind of temptation. We're following after him. We're leaving the world behind. We're going after Jesus and we're literally leaving the world behind. We want to create new community. We want to move. We want to just create a new, this new everything, this environment to live in. And he says, no, I'm with you, but now get back to where you came from. And the invitation that you just accepted, guess what? Now you accepted it and you turned in to the carrier. Now you go and share that invitation with those that you live around. Because guess what? If you come to the table now, there's no one left to invite. You're already at the table. This, these invitations are still going out. If we believe that God has a call in every one of our lives, on every person's lives, that wherever we go in the workplace or in the market or whatever it is, we look at people and we say, that person has an invitation on their lives and they maybe don't even know it. How are they ever going to respond to the invitation if we don't ever give it? He wants us to stay where we are. See, for Peter, who was begging to go with him, he said, he said Lord, I'll die for you. I'm ready. And Jesus looked at him and said, no, there's work to be done. In you, first of all, because no, you won't die for me. There was work to be done in Peter. There were things that the Lord wanted to do in his heart. But now, even beyond that, there were things that the Lord wanted to do in the world through Peter. Peter had to stay where he was. If Peter left at that time, we wouldn't have parts of the New Testament or the Word of God. If Peter left at that time, there would not have been an evangelist to the Jews. His work, his mission, was to now carry the message of Jesus Christ to the Jews living throughout Israel. That was his ministry. If he left the place that he was to go with Jesus now, they would have missed out on that and they never would have heard the invitation to come to the table of God. He needed to stay where he was. He couldn't leave. The world wouldn't be the same then or today because of what the Lord did through him. Kind of like our community wouldn't be the same without each one of you. Every one of us belongs here. Romans 12, 4 says this. It says, For just as each of us have one body and many members, and these members don't all have the same function, okay? So in Christ, the, we, though many, form one body. And now check this out. This is, this is kind of intense. Every member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that God has given each of us. We can get this concept easily that says, together we form one body, right? But what about this? 
Every member belongs to all the others. There's something about me accepting the invitation of the Lord to sit at his table that now has given me to all of you. Because I've accepted the invitation, because I'm committed to the Lord, I don't belong to myself anymore. Now I belong to the whole. And this works for every single one of us. And there's purpose behind this too. It's not just about, okay, the Lord is rearranging and reordering things now in, in, in his body. There's purpose to it because he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. The things that you have, I lack. I'm missing things. And so I need to be together, connected to the body, because what you have is, is the things that I'm missing. We're lacking. If we're not all together, if we're withholding ourselves from the greater whole, from that togetherness, now the one whole is lacking. And how much more are you lacking? Because you bring a few of your gifts to the table, and the whole body brings an array of gifts. If you're not plugged in, then the body misses what you carry. But if you're not plugged in, you miss out on those array of gifts and blessings that are there for the purpose of edifying the body of Christ. I think we talk about this an awful lot in church about our togetherness and the value that we add together. But the truth is, we don't experience that value add because of what we've turned church into. We talk about how everybody has gifts. Okay, we come together to church because we can all share our gifts, right? And, and all contribute. But what Sunday morning church is, does everyone contribute? No. Why? This isn't, this isn't church. This is one form of church. This is, this is the corporate worship form of church. We're coming to worship the Lord. We're coming to, to, to receive teaching from the word. This is one form of church. Church has to be bigger than these walls here, than this small little property. Church is something that you carry with you out into this world. Church is something that engages and interacts between Sundays. Not on Sunday morning. What's this about? No, this is where we come and we, we worship and we, and we learn. And then go out and practice our learning. That's church. So how can we all contribute to the whole? How can we really all be one? How can I belong to you? It's by being engaged in one another's lives throughout the week. This now is community. This is called Graceway Community Church. But if the only time we see each other and the only time that we talk is on Sunday morning between the hours of 10 and noon, that's, I'm sorry, that's not community. The Lord is challenging us to be community, to be a kingdom community. He's challenging us to get engaged and involved in one another's lives. That challenge is not gonna be easy for us to accept, but this is the next step. I think this is a lot of what Mike was sharing last week when he talked about you're entering a new season that's going to be challenging. It's 
It's going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to be productive. Here we are. Going to be productive. Doesn't look like it right now, but it's going to be, right? (laughs) But there's purpose. Even in the discomfort, in the challenge, there's purpose. He is taking us somewhere. And if we can just gather ourselves together, gird ourselves up, and know, Jesus, you said to love one another the way that you love us. I'm just going to take one step and, and, and try to love today, just today, just this person sitting in front of me right now, and love them the way that you love me. One step at a time. And he's going to shape and form us something new, something that I think today is extremely rare in the Christian community, a deep community, a community that can go into the deeper things of God because we're willing to go to the deeper places with one another. Why, are, why does so much of the church today not look like church that we read about in the scriptures? What, where is the power? Why does it seem to be so vacant of power so often? Why can't we go to the deeper things? If we can't go to the deeper things with one another, if we're not willing to simply accept his word and move to that place just because we're uncomfortable, how can we expect that he's going to take us to the deeper things of God? The deeper things of God are the deeper places with one another. This is the invitation and the calling on your life. Take a step towards one another. Love one another. I want to read two things and then we're going to close in prayer this morning. And this is in regards to the things that are in our hearts. Do we really love? Should we really love? How do we love? C.S. Lewis said this, don't waste your time bothering whether or not you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. And then as soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands, and then commanded us to love one another. If we surrender to his command and act in love to one another, all of a sudden, we find that treasure. We do love one another because we decided to obey the command of the Lord and now that obedience has worked out into our hearts. There we love one another. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Uh, read through this, this this week too and pray through this. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. And if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And finally, putting on that garment, he says this in 14. Over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's pray. Jesus, here in this room, we do love you. I believe in every one of our hearts there is a desire to serve you, 
there is a desire to grow in understanding, to know you more. But Lord, man, it's awful hard when we look to you and you gently direct us towards one another. It's hard to be the initiator, Lord. It's so much easier to be the recipient of love. The recipient of that invitation rather than being the one that's going and initiating it. But I hear you calling us this morning. You're calling us not just to receive your love, but you're calling us to give it out and initiate it. Someone's got to start it. I feel like you're, you're, you've placed this on, on, on us as a church, as Graceway. Like you're challenging us to be the initiators of demonstrating your love into this world. God, would you give us the strength to initiate love towards one another. Help us to start this new thing, to bring in this kingdom culture, this supernatural culture that goes against the culture of the world that says keep to yourself, keep all the talk superficial and light. Lord, help us to be the initiators and to love one another with your love, that, that deep love. We will accept, Lord, Challenging as it is, we do trust you all, all the way. So I believe that we're going to find a treasure. As we begin to dig deeper, I think we're going to find the treasure of this kingdom community that you are creating in our very midst, Lord. May it all be to glorify your name. This week, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to move on our hearts and communicate to each one of us individually about this calling you have on our lives and how you would have each of us respond to it with our time, our gifts, investments. What do you want us to do with these things, Lord? What does it look like to respond to that calling? Thank you, Lord. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.